Welcome. I'm Asa A, and this is The August Light, a podcast about my life as an actress and entrepreneur, which technically they're the same thing, but I digress. <laughs> Join me weekly for candid discussions about Black culture, growth, self-care, business, education, and a whole bunch of other sh- Oh, and I have a lot of amazing friends who'll be joining me in all my nonsense. There's no telling what will happen when the mic comes on, but I promise it'll be entertaining. So get comfy and enjoy the light, the August light. Today on the August Light Podcast, we will be talking about sex therapy. (laughs) Please welcome back Master Clinician Michelle. She received her master's from Northwestern in clinical mental health counseling, and she's a national certified counselor. She is working on becoming a certified sex therapist and is currently sex and kink friendly. And we have her back today to speak with us about sex therapy. So let's go ahead and get right into this. Miss Michelle, do you have anything you would like to start off with before we get into these questions? No, I I just had a song about that song. Let's talk about sex babies, but we don't have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) The one that comes to mind is for me is... um, is it Robin Thicke? Sex therapy? Yeah, that one. Yeah, I, I'm I'm old, so he's like, we're talking about sex. Let's talk about sex, sex. baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm There's old. So many great songs about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people talk about going to sex therapy. You have people who come to you for sex therapy. What is sex therapy? Okay, so first of all, sex therapy is is a form of counseling. It's still therapy. It's for couples as well as individuals and is to help you resolve sexual difficulties. So things like performance anxiety or relationship problems that have to do with sex. But let me say this, and let me just get this out (laughs) the way for people. What you got to say? When I am with a client, I'm operating as a sex therapist for my client. At no time is there any sex going on. Really? No sex. Now, I will say there is a such thing out there as a sex surrogate. Mm. within the gray area of is this therapy is this sex work so it falls under the line of someone who helps you have better sex as in they might have sex with you or they might direct you and your partner that's not what we're talking about today you mean tell me there are sex coaches out there that actually direct you on intimacy with your partner fascinating I know right not my thing that's not my ministry but there are people (laughs) out there who do it Not what you specialize in, what you say. Right. Not what I specialize in at all. And I I only say that because whenever I tell people, yeah, you know, I do sex therapy work, they're like, well, how much you charge for an hour? You know, which it's not like that. (laughs) We're not doing any of that. Okay. I'm glad you clarified that. But (laughs) none of that. No, leave the money on the dresser. None of that. I mean, ain't nothing wrong with that. If if that's your life, that's your life. It's just not my life. I'm very, like you said, I'm very sex positive. I'm sex worker friendly. If that is your job, then it is your job. It's just not my job. Okay. And she'll be able to, you know, talk to you about that if that is your job. Yep. She welcomes it. So like, how did you get started in sex therapy? So really the first thing I always knew that I wanted to be a therapist in general. And then I am a girl raised in the South. I'm Southern. And I realized that in the South, There are things you don't talk about. And one of the things you don't talk about is sex. And this is not just for like the black community. This is for the Southern community. We just don't talk about sex in the open. I think that might be an American thing, actually. You're totally right. So maybe it's an American thing, but like a lot of it is shrouded in mystery. Mm. And so, you know, you grow up thinking, well, 
the first question is always like, well, where do babies come from? Right? <laughs> um, babies come from sex. If you let some people tell it, babies come from when you get married. Right. And so like, those are the types of things. And so while I had, I had a friend group where we could talk about sex, a lot of the stuff we were just, we were not knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And the thought of how is sex, quote, supposed to go, we didn't know. Is there really a way that sex is supposed to go? There's a way sex is supposed to go in the sense that it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be comfortable for you. It's not supposed to be something okay. that you are ashamed of. It's supposed to be something that you are consenting to enthusiastically in those types of ways. It's supposed to be something that makes you feel good. Okay. You mean the actual leading up to it, not yeah. the actual act of it. That's not yeah. Like- I don't mean. I don't mean like insert tab, you know, slot A and, you know, all right, of that. there's no steps by step process. Not, not necessarily. <laughs> um, but so like a sex therapist will, if you have concerns or thoughts or feelings about your sexuality or anything that's preventing you from having sex successfully, whatever that means for you, therapists, sex therapists will help you create a plan to decrease your discomfort, decrease your lack of knowledge, things like that. So, Okay. And what kind of things do people need help with when it comes to like sex and intimacy? Like oh, specific so, things. So specific things. So first of all, knowing what intimacy is. Ooh, go ahead. Tell us what it is then. Right. So intimacy <laughs> is a connection between you and your partner that does not necessarily have to be sexual in nature. So a lot of times my sex work. I, it sex comes work? My sex therapy work. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, not you, my not my sex work. I just had to, times, I had to catch you on that because you, you know people would think the wrong thing if you just again say again. So a lot of times my sex therapy work surrounds around like I might have a couple that come in and be like we're not having sex or one partner is I'm unsatisfied with the sex that we do have and a lot of times what it boils down to is they don't have intimacy outside of the bedroom. Give people like the dummies one on one version of intimacy. Intimacy is like connection, a relationship, a rapport that you have built with your partner. So it doesn't necessarily have to do with what you do when you get naked. Intimacy is, do I trust this person? Can I talk to this person? Can this person see me at my worst? And then it goes to, am I still sexual or sexually attractive or attracted to this person Uh, because of the foundation of that intimacy? The foundation of your relationship, what it's built on. Right. Yeah, if y'all ain't talking to each other. If y'all don't trust each other, mm-hmm. then all that kind of falls by the wayside when it comes to being sexual with each other. Yeah, because the first step to having great sex is being comfortable with your partner. Yeah. So if you feel like you can't be comfortable or you don't feel like you can be naked with your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings, then it's hard to get physically naked with this person and enjoy yourself. Yeah, because I think that also goes into if you can talk to your partner about just anything. Like, you got to better talk to somebody when it comes to having sex with them. You got to better tell them, this ain't working or this is working or this is how I'm feeling. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing wrong with communicating about sex in the bedroom with somebody. This is what intimacy is. Especially right. you trying to do what the whole purpose of sex is to be for enjoyment, you know? Right. Go create, but you know, most, yeah. of for, most of the time it's just for enjoyment. It's it, most times it's just for enjoyment. But yeah. so like that's the that's the number one one. But um things like the physical difficulties of sex. So like early ejaculation or lack of erections, lack of lubrication for, for the females or for people who have female genitalia. 
I can't stay hard or I don't get wet enough. These are things that people come to me about. Okay. Now, is that something that you could actually help with? Or is that something that they would have to visit like a general practice doctor or some kind of special doctor to actually figure out what is causing their erection problem or their self-lubrication problem? Both. So one of the things that when it comes to sex therapy, we like to rule out any type of medical issue that you might have. I have a client who says, well, you know, I get hard, but I can't stay hard. Okay, so first, let's go and talk to your doctors. Do you have a circulatory issue? Like, do you need to be talking to your cardiologist? How's your blood flow going? And if they say, well, no, it's not that, now it might be something we call psychosomatic, which means it's a mental, something mentally that's messing with your physical body. And then that's something that you would unlock if it's something mental. Okay, curious. Like what kind of mental blocks do people typically have? Okay, so one, this is from way back when I was still in school, we did a case study and it was based on an actual client. He could not sustain an erection. He could get an erection, but he couldn't sustain it. And they did all the medical stuff. It's like, no, he's perfectly healthy. It's nothing, no heart issues, no circulatory issues, anything like that. And then upon seeing a sex therapist, it was determined that he could not keep an erection because when he was younger, right at puberty, when he was starting to first develop his identity as a sexual being, he had an unplanned erection while he was in school in a public setting. I mean, that's not uncommon, you know. It's not uncommon. No, that's not that's not uncommon. When guys are first, especially first going through puberty and they're first starting, like the wind can blow and then they have an erection. Mm-hmm. Erections don't necessarily mean that a man is aroused. It, it just, just means that that organ has been stimulated. And the teacher shamed him for it and it became a big deal. The kids teased him. So wow. he had that tied shame into an erection. Ah, so he was holding on to it thinking that it was a bad right. thing to have an erection. Right. No, sir, you kind of need that to perform what you plan to perform. Right. So like, so it's things like that. Do you have any examples of things that women have to unblock? Definitely. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of shame for women because of the world that we live in about us being too sexual yet not sexual enough and all that type of stuff. So for example, I had a client who felt like she was not having enough sex with her husband Mm -hmm. and she felt a lot of shame behind that. And so when they would have sex, she would not, she could not reach orgasm. And so it was not a medical issue. Everything was working correctly. So she went to go see her primary care and her gynecologist. And what we found out is she grew up in a home that was strictly religious. And so the thought of women save herself for marriage and sex is not for pleasure, it's for procreation. And if you want sex, then you, ergo, you must be like a whore, Jezebel or something. So that shame, again. And let me interject right there. Fuck that mentality of sex is not for pleasure, it's just for procreation. And right. fuck that, that you're not supposed to enjoy it and all that stuff. Okay, <laughs> just so we're very clear on that, where we stand. Yeah, <laughs> ditto. That's where I stand too. Um, you know, just just wanted to make sure people understand where we're coming from. We're having yeah. a conversation about sex because clearly it needs to be had, and it, it needs to be put out there that orgasms are great for the body. They're great natural stress relievers. Amen. So whether yeah, whether they are solo or partner assisted, orgasms are great for the body. They help you reset. It can help you go to sleep. They're great. They're great. Yes to orgasms. I think we all approve those. <laughs> what are some issues, though, that you see 
or have seen or know about that Black people face when it comes to being comfortable with sexuality, particularly the discussion of sex in the Black family and as it relates to Black women. Okay. Woo, that's a mouthful. I could write a, like an essay on that. I mean, you can give us a brief dissertation I'm a, on I'm it. I'm going to give you a brief one. <laughs> so unfortunately, the African-American community is one of the most sexually repressed ones because unfortunately, a lot of our issues go back to our history as an enslaved people. Yes, slavery. slavery, slavery punches us again. Um, so the thought of enslaved women were a lot of times viewed as breeders and sexual like hypersexual beings and they were giving that thought of being hypersexual because the enslavers slept with raped let's put it out there they it's, raped they raped their slaves they raped they raped their slaves and so a lot of times the thought the justification was well you saw how she came on to me and she just because there was this thought of we were inherently more sexual than our white counterpart and um there's this thing called the cult of true womanhood this paper written on basically what makes a woman a woman or a lady if you were a type that you had a lot of sex and at this point let's let's just take out the thought that these men were raping these women they're just you're sleeping with these men you must not be a real woman therefore you don't deserve respect and so in the african-american community a lot of our things are the striving to be seen as human and to be seen as acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so the thought of you can't be overly sexual because then they're going to think you're a whore, right? And you won't be a true woman. You won't be a lady. Interesting. Cause that's what we kind of still will still deal with today where, you know, a man can sleep with a hundred, 200 women and a woman, she sleep with 10, she a hoe, but he's just a man. Yeah. No, no. If we're going to go by the word a hoe, in my opinion, you know, a hoe is a hoe. I don't care what your sex is. Right. So if um, you hoeing, you hoeing. And for me personally, I don't have a problem with anyone who is hoeing as long as you're hoeing responsibly. Yes, I think that's where the issue comes in. You can right. be a hoe, but if you're a responsible hoe, that's when the problem comes with the whole terminology and lifestyle of hoeing. Mm-hmm. So that's when people get caught up. That's when people lose their lives. That's when diseases spread. That's all. Yeah. And that is another part of my job as a sex therapist. I talk about responsible sex as well, or ethical sex, ethical non-monogamy like that. Okay. Expand upon that, because I think that's like a term, you know, that just kind of landed where it's like, yo, if people could actually agree to this, man, we would have a lot less problems in relationships and expectations. Just explain what ethical monogamy, non-monogamy is. So ethical non-monogamy is the practice of not being monogamous, i.e. being a hoe or having multiple partners, but doing it in a way that is open and honest. So you're not cheating on a person or causing, um, harm, to or causing harm to them. So, for example, um, if a person is ethically non-monogamous and they're dating someone, they'll say, hey, just so you know, I am also dating, i.e. sleeping with this other person. And so I... And disclosing I, how you're sleeping with that person. Right. And so like... protection or you know, Right. Like, what exactly? Having these open conversations about what's going on between you and that person. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I'm creeping. It's all out there in the open. Communication. Beautiful yes. thing. If you consider yourself old enough, mature enough to have sex, be old enough and mature enough to communicate about it. Yes. Have conversations about it. It's that simple. If you can't have conversations about sex, then you probably shouldn't be having sex. I agree. 
you have to be honest and open. That's a good foundation for any relationship. Okay. So in that same vein of honest and open, what are some uncommon kinks that are more common than most people think? Because, you know, a lot of people get scared about, oh, I like this, or they think it's kinky or it's fetish. And we have this mentality in this society where we deem people freaks in a, a way that it is actually not a good thing. Usually it's usually used as a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. So people feel that what they like tends to be uncommon, un- unnormal, and they kind of feel ashamed. So one of the main ones, and I think it has a lot to do with the way our society is now, is voyeurism. Like, so people who like to watch other people or exhibitionism. I think that's interesting that people think that's so uncommon only because people watch porn. So you're watching other people have sex anyways, but I guess it's different than when you watch someone in person. Right. But I think a part of it, it has to do with the way that our lives are so connected now, because we do a lot of watching, like non-sexual watching of people in their lives. Yeah. On social media. On social media, reality TV, all kinds right. of ways. It's kind of weird in that sense of like spying on people without their consent, but we consent to it. Like Instagram is an entire app that says, look at me and my life. Here's the food that I'm eating. Here's the place I'm working out. Here's the new shoes I bought. Like, come into my life and watch me. Yeah. And so that's why I say voyeurism and exhibitionism, because a lot of people like to be watched. Yeah, I believe it. Another kink, pretty common, that people don't think about it being common is cuckolding. Say that word again. Cuckolding. Please expand upon that. Okay, so it started out an insult to a man whose woman has cheated on him with another man, right? So like it was an insult, it was derogatory, except now it's a whole kink because some men realize that they like the thought of someone else enjoying their partner or even watching it. Now that's a new one. That one did catch me off guard. Yeah. So, hey, you know, there are men out there who are okay with their woman sleeping with another man and probably watching and then maybe engaging, you know? And then there's... um. I won't yuck anyone else's yum. There is a uh, Mandingo fantasy that sometimes goes along with the cuckolding fantasy. Okay, you gotta you, you gotta explain. I'm, I'm a visual person. I'm, I'm, like, kinda, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna explain. This. Okay, so when you think about Mandingo, what do you think? I think of large dicks. Okay, okay. So, but and black men. There we go. Black men with large large. Yes. Large penises. Okay. Yes. I mean, I yes. didn't think I had to say a black part, but I just, you know, I think of large penises. So in, in this point, and like in <laughs> this case, it has some roots, unfortunately, also in, in slavery, because it's typically white couples where, white heterosexual couples mostly, where the male likes to watch his wife sleep with a large penis having black man. Yeah, that took a turn where I didn't, you know. Yeah. It doesn't that doesn't take a fun turn as a black woman. No. That, that's the thing. <laughs> but um, I won't yuck someone else's yum, you know. Right. I won't yuck someone else's yum. Yeah. It's like if you're at the buffet, just because somebody else is eating pizza and you hate pizza, you're not gonna be like, Oh, you eating pizza, that's gr-. just move along. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna move along past that one. Also, the good thing to know is to know what type of person you are. So have you ever heard of this term demisexual? I feel like I have, but go ahead and elaborate. Okay. So demisexual is a person 
or people who only feel sexually attracted to someone when they have an emotional bond with someone first. So they are they have to have a, an emotional connection before they can have a physical sexual connection. A lot of people are that way and they don't realize they are that way. However, there is a difference. Opposite, I would say, is called fray sexual. Those are people who are only romantically or sexually attracted to people that they are less familiar with. Oh, so they get aroused by strangers, basically. Right. So these are people who might have more casual encounters. Could that change for people? Can they be sexual and then change to demisexual or vice versa? Maybe so. Like, because our sexuality and what we like, sexual orientation, all that type of stuff is on a spectrum. When you say stuff like that, you know you have to expound upon it. You have to explain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like, okay, so you just think about it this way. So say for sexual orientation... On one end, you have all the way, all the way, all the way, just homosexual. I'm only interested in people of the same sex as I am. Then all the way on the other side, you might have what we consider like pansexual or bisexuality, where I am attracted to either or. Well, that's in the middle. I'm sorry. Can I say what? Yeah. All the way on the end, I'm sorry, it's heterosexual. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Right. Pan, Pan and like bisexual in the middle. Um, yeah, all yeah. the way, all the way on the other end is like heterosexual, where I ain't messing with nobody who got the same stuff as me. Is you gotta have the opposite stuff, and then somewhere in the sphere is like asexual. I'm not sexually attracted to anyone. That's so. like off the scale. That's like I don't even know if that's on the spectrum though. Yes, yeah, so I was like, it's like an outlier point on this. That's an outlier. Yeah. yeah, that makes it like a turns into like a curve graph, you know. With the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's an outlier, but it's still a part. You still have to respect that it is a part of, like, say, the the bell curve of sexuality. It is. It's part of the bell curve. It, it's what makes the bell curve. Yep. But that's a math lesson, and that's not for me. Um, <laughs> All right. So we've talked about a lot of things. We've covered a lot. But as always, we got to do something like fun. <laughs> at the end of these podcasts <laughs> you know my little evil laugh <laughs> so just because we're talking about sex therapy i figured why not go with some sex myths truths and fun facts so what we did was we each came up with like two of each of these and we didn't discuss these beforehand, of course. So they could be the same. They hopefully are different. I'm not going to say that it's 100% factual, but we did our best to find facts and myths that we could debunk, okay? Mm-hmm. But as always, I encourage you, if you hear something we said, go research it for yourself. Always. Yeah, don't ever take someone else's words at 100% face value, okay? No. Okay, because we, we're human. We can get shit wrong. Yeah. So I'm going to start off. So the first one, we're going to start with myths. So the first one is a lot of people say that chocolate and oysters are aphrodisiacs. It's false, y'all. It's not a reality. Okay. Chocolate and oysters are not aphrodisiacs. So if somebody is telling you eat some chocolates or some oysters and to increase your libido or to arouse you, they're fucking with your mind. It's not a reality. Um, it could be a mind of matter thing. It could work for some people. Yeah, that, that's uh, what we would call the placebo effect, where you, you're you taking something thinking that it's going to do a specific thing, and then you start to feel that way. But it's a placebo. It's like your brain is doing that now. So if you're eating oysters thinking, oh, yeah, I'm being turned on after this, 
you have now turned yourself on, which is okay. It's okay. You you found a trigger, a false trigger to arouse yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Do Ooh, it. Dang. Go for it. Can can I do one now? That made me yeah, think go of ahead. Mine. Go ahead. Go ahead with your man. My turn. My turn. Um. <laughs> so, um, the thought that if you um if you smoke marijuana when you reef or whatever you gonna call it or drink alcohol it acts as a stimulant to sex that is not true well it's kind of true not true so the thing that alcohol and marijuana does it reduces your inhibitions exactly so it doesn't it's not a stimulant it right? just makes you do what you already wanted to do right or or sometimes it'll make you feel more okay to do things that you wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. not when you are sober but the thing to remember is that alcohol and marijuana reduce the blood flow to the genital area and actually can decrease your sexual performance because it can make it difficult for someone to maintain an erection or experience an orgasm see people out here in these streets just living lies but hey for some people it probably works some people it's placebo effect it works right so my next myth Mine is that, you know, a large penis is required for a pleasurable sexual experience for women. No, it's not a reality. The bigger, the better does not apply to penises. All right. No. <laughs> that is not, that is not, factual. that is not, that's not factual. They, they have some perks to them. They can be great, but there are other factors that go into uh, pleasing a woman sexually. So just because you got a large dick fellas doesn't mean that you're automatically in the game for a woman to enjoy you. Honestly, I believe that every person is not a perfect fit in the bedroom anyway. So just because yeah. so-and-so enjoyed you and said you was bomb doesn't mean the next person is going to agree with them. Nope, because every penis is different. Every, every vagina, vagina is different. Is different. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and that, that made me think about my other myth about vaginas. Okay. The thought that a loose or a tight vagina indicates that someone has been more or less sexually active you know that thought of like throwing a hot dog down the hallway i got a i got a fact that goes with that so that's it's interesting that you let's tie those in together so like some research has found that the average uh, vagina depth is 3.77 inches Mm -hmm. but the reality is (laughs) vagina depths stretch and a woman is aroused people or of course when they're giving birth but A vagina can stretch to accommodate what is going in it, okay? Mm -hmm. So tampons, fingers, penises, sex toys. So continue on about how people say a loose vagina means that you've been with a lot of people. It doesn't. It doesn't. So the truth is the vagina is a muscle. Mm -hmm. And so just like your bicep, if you flex it, it's tight. And if when you're at rest, it's more loose, it's more pliable. When women are aroused, the muscles loosen more. Why? To allow a penis or a sex toy easier access. Also, when a woman is tense and not enjoying herself, the vagina could be tighter. Listen to the cues. Her body's telling you. Mm-hmm. Telling you what she likes and what she doesn't like. Right. So if it's loosening up for you and it's lubing up for you, then you're doing what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. If it's not doing that, then there's some other things going on. So you yeah, might... it could be. Okay, so go ahead with your first fact that we discuss vaginas at large. <laughs> okay, so my favorite favorite fact when it comes to talking about like sex and sexuality is about the clitoris. 
Yay, Clint. Love it. I love them. Did you know one thing that there are more than 8,000 nerve endings in the clitoris alone, like in the tip of the clitoris alone? That is twice the amount that's in the entire penis. I knew that, but I don't know if our listeners do, but that's what makes a clit so awesome. It's very complex. The clitoris is not just that part where you see when you open up the labia and you see the head of the clitoris. That's just the beginning. That's the part you can see. The clitoris goes on top of the vaginal canal and around the vaginal canal. And so she's a bad bitch, y'all, if you didn't know. She is. She is. is a bad bitch. And so that thought of when people are like, oh, you found my G-spot, guess what that is? That's the underside of the clitoris. The G-spot is a part of the cl- all of that. She's the epicenter to orgasms. She's the gatekeeper, y'all. She is. Okay. Yep. Now, now let's go to the next fact, because we can stay on clitoris. Oh, we can, we can talk about that for a while. Yeah, that's a whole nother thing, okay? <laughs> my next fun fact is, yeah, sperms are some strong motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. So uh, you all can check this, but when my Google search came up, sperm can live inside a woman's vagina for five days after being released from a man. And in those five days, that son of a bitch can still fertilize an egg if a woman ovulates within that time period. Yep. Yep. So I need y'all to know that. So if you ain't trying to get pregnant and you up here fucking around and you in that five day window mark between your ovulation, you better be careful. Shut it down. Be 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 careful. careful. Because because that sperm, if he got strong swimmers, if he in good health, because there are some factors to how long a sperm can live inside a vagina, okay? A man's health is is taken into consideration, okay? But if he is healthy, you know, he got them strong swimmers, yeah, five days, that's a long time. That's a work week, y'all. Yeah, it's a work week. And so, so you know. That, work. that sperm is putting in yes. work. Yes. Yes. And so that's why when women are, when they're pregnant and they go back and they're like, your date of conception, they'll give you a range. It was around this time. And that's why due dates are not set in stone either. Okay. Your last fun fact, because we, we didn't got distracted by clitoris and sperm. <laughs> that's I know, I know, I know. Let me see. Let me think about it. I have so many. You get one more. You get one more. I know. It's hard. <laughs> No, I know. <laughs> Sex is a fun topic if you do it right. <laughs> right. It is a fun topic. So let, let me do one for the bigots in the back. For the bigots in the back. Damn, where are you going with this? STIs are transmitted through body fluids, like vaginal fluids, anal fluids, pre-cum, semen, blood, and sometimes through skin-to-skin contact. However, you cannot get an STD from sitting on a toilet seat because... Most STIs cannot live outside of the body, number one. And number two, unless these things are introduced into your body. Okay. Yeah. We could talk about this forever. Like, we could. For real. We could really be on here a really a long time, like a day, talking about sex and different aspects of sex. Okay. But Michelle, do you have any last minute resources or information that you want to delve out to the audience? that uh, they should kind of look into and know about. So here's one site that's really, really good in general, helping you know what's going on. Believe it or not, Planned Parenthood. They have lots of helpful resources for men and women's sexual health to help you figure out if what I'm experiencing is that normal, should I be worried? Or And they have a lot of like different pamphlets and things about what's like myths that aren't true. 
another good website is the Center for Sexuality. Those are two good ones. So that gets y'all started on a deep dive. But remember, don't go down a rabbit hole and self-diagnose yourself. This is just for your preliminary questions, okay? And then if you need more help, seek a doctor, seek a professional doctor's help, okay? In the meantime, in between time, y'all, until next time, be a light, an August light. Come back next week for another enlightening episode. If you were entertained or inspired by this show, tell someone about it. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review about it somewhere, anywhere. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the August underscore light. Oh, and join our club, the August Light Talk on Clubhouse, where we will be hosting follow-up discussions.